0: Every home, every family is different. I was thinking about my family, my home, my household when I was growing up, when I was a kid, and I had three, still have three younger sisters, so it was mom and dad and me, and then three little girls in the house, and then eventually three teenage girls in the house, and so our home was full of dolls and Barbies and shoes, and I won't say it was full of drama, but uh, it was full of drama. (laughs) and then i think now compare comparatively now i'm raising two little boys and our home our house is very different uh, uh at any given time i guarantee there's at least a 100 legos on the floor and nothing hurts quite like stepping on a lego there's uh, probably at any given time somebody is likely to swing a lightsaber so you know life in our house and there's there's probably you know our fair share of drama in our house as well so uh but but life in every home is different. I don't know what your home is like. Maybe your home is nice and quiet. Maybe it's chaotic. Maybe it's neat and tidy or maybe it's kind of a mess sometimes. Maybe there are kids. Maybe there aren't kids. Maybe there's a spouse. Maybe there's not a spouse. Whatever your home looks like, this series is for you. It's for all of us. All of us live as a part of a household. Maybe it's a household of one. Maybe it's a household of many. This is a series about family, but not in the way we normally do series about family. It's not specifically about marriage. It's not specifically about parenting. It is a series about how do we make sure that Jesus is the focal point of our homes. How do we make sure that honoring Jesus is an everyday kind of a thing? And so, if you would just go back to that first slide for just a second. But I, 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 I know it's kind of silly and it's even kind of grammatically incorrect. You can talk about that later. But, but, but we thought it would be, or I thought it would be kind of memorable, kind of stick in our head if we turn home into an acronym. H-O-M-E. Honoring Our master every day so that you remember that that's what home stands for, because we want to stop and think about what does your home stand for? Again, how do we make sure that Jesus is honored every day? How do we make sure that Jesus is the focal point of our house, that God is the center, that God is the foundation of our homes and everything that we do, that we honor the Lord? in the way that we talk to each other, in the things that we do, in the way that we spend our money, in the way that we spend our time, in the things that are important to us. That the foundation of our home isn't finances, and it's not education, and it's not sports, it's Jesus. That's what this series is all about. You can go ahead and go to the next slide, that's fine. So how do we create this kind of a home? And in order to do that, in order to really think about that, we're going to go to Deuteronomy, and we're going to look at Deuteronomy. We're going to look at what God told the children of Israel. Now, Deuteronomy is a great book. If you haven't read it, and again, if you're in my Wednesday night class, you know that I like to encourage people, when you have the time to sit down and read through a whole book in one setting, and I know you say, Deuteronomy is one of those long books I can't do that. I promise you you really can about as long as it takes to watch a movie if you can carve out that much time and I know for those of you with little kids that's really hard to carve out that much time but but if you can carve out a couple of hours and sit down and read through this book at some point this month and I think you'll be blessed by doing that especially as we think through how it applies to us today how it applies to how we live our lives as God's covenant people. So the word Deuteronomy means second law. Okay, And I, I promise this is going to apply to family life in just a second. But it means second law or God reminding, through Moses, God reminding the Israelites of the law. Do you remember that in the book of Numbers, the Israelites had to wander, wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until the generation of the faithless people that didn't want to go into Israel, they were too scared to take the promised land. They wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation died out. And right before they go in and finally take the promised land with a whole new generation of Israelites, a whole new generation of God's covenant people, Moses stands up and he reminds them, this is who we are and this is how we're supposed to live. Moses reminds them, God is setting before you two choices. You you choose to obey God and trust God and love God and follow God and be faithful to the covenant of God and you will live. But you choose to do your own thing. Choose to do things your own way. Choose to disregard God. Choose to worship idols. Choose to do the things that other people are doing and not live as God's covenant people and you will die. And you'll be cut off. And you'll be exiled. So I set before you life and death, choose life so that you can live. That's what the whole book of Deuteronomy is about. And one of the the focal points of this book, in fact, one of the focal points of, of being God's people is Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you got your Bible, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to kind of touch on chapters 4 and 5, uh, but especially Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4 this morning. We're going to talk about how this is incredibly relevant for us today as well. So Deuteronomy 6-4 says this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let's kind of break that down and work through that one verse this morning, okay? So that first word here. Now the Hebrew word there is Shema. And that's a, that's a word that's used throughout the Old Testament and it means to hear or to listen, but, but not just that, that you, that sound waves go into your ear and that you recognize something is being said, but it implies doing something. So sometimes it's used in regard to prayer and it's say, God heard Shema, my prayer. He listened to my prayer. Now, Of course, God is all-knowing. God hears every prayer. But when somebody says, God heard my prayer, it means God did something. So Shema doesn't just mean listen, as in let the sound waves go into your ear. It means do something about it. In fact, a lot of times, I think 81 times, Shema is translated obey. And we as parents, we understand that, don't we? If you ever have been around kids, you've used listen this way, haven't you? Are you listening to me? Did did you hear what I said? I'll tell my boys, go brush your teeth. And then I come back in the living room five minutes later and they're still sitting there. I said, did you hear me? I said, brush your teeth. Now, of course, they heard me, right? Of course, the, the sound went into their ear and they knew dad was talking Perhaps they knew that. I don't even know if they knew that. But, 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 I, I assume they know that much, right? But the question isn't, did, did, did you hear it? But did you listen to it? Are you changing what you're doing because of it? Are you, are you gonna live in such a way that reflects that you know this, that you understand it, that you're taking heed of it? And so this verse is saying, Take heed, Israel. Listen, Israel. Hear, Israel. Pay attention, Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. Let's look at the next phrase. O Israel. So much, again, of this book is all about being God's people. What does it mean to be the people of God? To be Israel. Israel. Now, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit to the application just so you stay with me a little bit this morning. But we are, in Christ, we are the new Israel, aren't we? Galatians chapter 3 says that if you are in Christ Jesus, if you've been clothed with Him in baptism, if you've put your faith in Jesus, then you are a descendant of Abraham. Did you know that? If you're in Christ Jesus, you are the new Israel. And so again, this is incredibly relevant for, relevant for us, but but here he's saying, God saying through Moses, listen, pay attention, O Israel. And, and what does that mean to be God's people? Over and over again in chapter 4 and verse 20. It says, The Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people for his own inheritance as you are this day. Listen people of God, listen, people that I brought out of the iron furnace of Egypt, listen to me, pay attention, remember, take heed, you people that I've saved, not just saved, but I've saved you to be my inheritance, God says, I mean, think about that for just a second, How awesome it is for God to say to a group of people, you're my inheritance and I'm yours. You're my people. You are my treasured possession. Chapter 4 and verse 23 says, take care that you don't forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. And Think about that for a second. That God would make a covenant with a group of people. Those of us that are married, we we know what it is to make a covenant, right? On the one hand, it's it's contractual, right? It's It's legal. And we're making a legal agreement that says, what's mine is now legally yours. And that I'm legally bound to you until death do we part. But it's also relational, isn't it? And the covenant that God made with His people is legal. It's contractual. And it's relational. That God chose a group of people and said, I want to marry you as a group of people. I want you to be like my bride. I want you to be like my children. I want you to be a part of my family because that's the kind of God I am. Chapter 4 and verse 31 says that God will not forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. And I love it in chapter 4 verse 32 and through about verse 38, and, and God asks them, Moses asks them, has anything like this ever happened? I mean, think back to the history of mankind. Has anything like this ever happened, where God would do such a thing? Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? Because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence. Has anything like this ever happened before? The answer, of course, is of course not. How special it was for God to say, listen, Israel. For Moses to say, listen, Israel, the covenant people of God the people that God has chosen to dwell in your presence, to love you like no other people, to call you to himself, to dwell with you in the tabernacle, to give you a promised land, to save you, to protect you, to redeem you. Wow, what an amazing thing it is to be the covenant people of God. So listen, Israel, pay attention, Israel. Take heed, Israel, people of God. The last phrase, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Or another way to say it might be, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. See, everything that he's about to say in the next few verses, everything that he is going to say throughout the book of Deuteronomy, everything the Bible says in general, your entire life is shaped by your theology. Your home life is shaped by your theology. God knew that as these people come into the promised land and dwell as his covenant people, the most important thing is that they know who he is. Because that was going to shape their individual lives, that was going to shape their home lives, and that was going to shape Israel. Do you know who your God is? Do you know who your God is? The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And these words were supposed to be impressed upon their minds and upon their hearts that the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And so as we go throughout the book of Deuteronomy, we say, well, who is the Lord? It's a good question, isn't it? Who is God? Who is this one who has saved these people? Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24 says, The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Then he says in verse 31 of the same chapter, The Lord your God is a merciful God. Which one of those is more important? Merciful God or a consuming fire God who's a jealous God? Which one's more important? Neither one, right? They're both important. You need to know this, Israel. This is what Moses is saying. If you're going to go in and you're going to dwell as God's covenant people, you have to know who your God is. That's going to shape your life. That's going to shape your home. That's going to shape the nation. That's going to determine whether or not we continue to be God's covenant people. Chapter 5, verses 23 through 25 says that as soon as they heard the voice of God in the midst of the fire. So on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, when the, the fire was there and God spoke to them, that's what we're talking about here. As soon as you heard the voice of the midst, out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me. All the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, this is the people talking to Moses, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us His glory and greatness, and we have heard His voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. I mean, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? And we don't tend to think of God in those terms. But they saw their experience hearing God's voice and seeing his fire on the mountain. They saw that experience as a an awesome near-death experience. Have you ever had one of those experiences? Maybe you're driving in your car and you almost have a wreck. And, I mean, whatever it is. I mean, the, the, the number of stories you could tell me, I'm sure, would boggle the mind. Collectively, we all have had experiences that make our chest, our heart beat out of our chest. Maybe our face goes pale. Maybe our hands and our knees are trembling. And we say, wow, that was amazing. What just happened? But I, I don't know that I ever want to do that again because I almost died. That's how the people felt after they heard the voice of God. After they saw his fire and they went to Moses and they said, let's not do that again. Because next time that happens, we may not be so fortunate. We might die. And what do you suppose God's reaction to that is? We don't have to guess because the next few verses tell us. Look at verses 28 and 29. The Lord heard their words and spoke to Moses and said, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments. It wasn't a bad thing that they saw their experience with God as an awesome near-death experience. That was a good thing. God said, Oh, Oh, that that would always be their heart. Oh, that they would always tremble in my presence. Oh, that they would always fear me because a right relationship With God, that shapes our lives the way that it should shape our lives, that shapes our homes the way our homes should be shaped, that shapes us as a people the way it should shape us as a people, that knowledge begins with the fear of God, a trembling in His presence, a bowing down before Him to know how awesome, how great, how glorious, how majestic He is. Now, that's not to say that we, 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 we say that's more important than God's mercy and God's love. And In two weeks, we'll talk about our love for God, but it has to begin here, doesn't it? God says, oh, that they would always have this kind of heart. Oh, they would always fear me and tremble before me. Oh, that they would know how awesome I am to know again how awesome it is that God said, as awesome as I am, as powerful as I am, as glorious as I am, as majestic as I am, I want you to be my people. I want to make a covenant with you. So do you see how important these words are? Shema, hear, listen, pay attention, O Israel. The Lord our God, Or the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. The Lord alone. Listen, O people of God. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone is our God. So here's the question that I want us to leave here with this morning, that I want us to think about as we go throughout the week. This is the question that will shape and is shaping our households. Again, whether it's a household of one or it's a household of many, whether it's you and a spouse, whether it's just you, whether there's kids around or there's no kids around, whether you're grandparents, whatever role you find yourself in, here's the question, who is our Lord? That question is shaping and will continue to shape your household. Who is our Lord? Everybody has an idea of God, don't they? And most of our ideas about God are really oversimplifications of the truth, aren't they? Let me say that again. Most of our ideas about God are just oversimplifications of the truth. People say things like this all the time. They say, well, you know, I think that God just wants us to be happy. I just think God just wants us to be happy. But then on the other side, there's people that say, well, uh, it doesn't seem like God wants us to be happy at all. God doesn't want us to have any fun or enjoy ourselves. Neither one of those are true, are they? We need to know the God of the Bible. The God before whom people's face turn pale and their hands tremble and their hearts nearly beat out of their chest. And also the God who's revealed Himself to us in the person and the work of Jesus, the Messiah the Christ, who so loved the world that the Father gave the Son that we might not perish but have everlasting life. All of this needs to shape our understanding of who our God is. And moms and dads, grandparents, aunts and uncles, Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have an obligation to the next generation not only to figure this out for ourselves, who is our Lord? But we need to teach them, don't we? We need to teach them who the Lord is. Not who the world says God is, but who the Bible says God is. Who Jesus reveals God is. We need to teach them about God's love. We need to teach them that God is an awesome God, a consuming fire. We need to teach them that the God that the Israelites were going into the land to dwell with, that is our God. And that that God took on human flesh and dwelt among us and that he gave his life so that we as Gentiles could be part of his covenant people, not through the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We've got to teach them these things. We've got to help shape their theology. Because theology shapes our individual lives, it shapes our home life, and it shapes church life. Who is our Lord? Who is the Lord of your life? Who is the Lord of your home? Who is the Lord of the church? See, there's the sad thing, isn't it? That as much as the people of Israel said these words... They didn't really shema. They didn't really listen. Over and over and over and over and over again, God had to send prophets to say, are you listening? Have you heard? Why are you worshiping other gods? Why are you disobeying? Why are you living this way? Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the question this morning. For you, for me... For me as a man, for me as an individual, for me as a father, will I, Shema, will I listen? Will I hear who the Lord is? And will it shape and change my life? And as a father, will I tell my children, listen, listen, this is the most important thing. I don't care what sports team you root for. I'd like for you to root for the Rangers, but you don't have to. You know, I don't care. You don't listen on that as much as you listen on this. I want you to do well in school, but that's not really what I want you to shema. I I want you to, to have a good job, but that's not really what I want you to shema about. This is what I want you to hear, sons of mine. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Moms, grandmas, this is the role you play, isn't it? To echo, to support And sometimes you're the lone voice in the household, aren't you? To say, listen, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Now, I can't control whether or not my children grow up to be Christians. I wish I could. Man, I wish I could. I wish I could guarantee that my sons will grow up to be men of God who listen and who know the Lord our God and that the Lord is our only God. I wish I could guarantee that. I can't, but I can guarantee this. I can guarantee that I will talk of the Lord, that I will teach my boys who the Lord is. Not the Lord of fantasy, not the Lord of popular culture, but I will teach them who the Lord of Scripture is, the Lord who is revealed in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I know as a dad I've messed up already. There's been times I haven't Shema. I haven't listened, I haven't heard, and I haven't taught my sons the way that I should have. And I'm so thankful for God's grace and God's mercy and God's love. All I can do is determine from this day forward, I will be incredibly thankful that I am a part of the new Israel of God. And I will listen and I will speak up and I will say, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that isn't yet a part of the people of God haven't yet been washed of your sins, haven't been cleansed and redeemed, but there's the good news that no matter who you are, what you've been, what you've done, doesn't matter. God wants you to be a part of the new Israel, to come in and by faith to become a descendant of Abraham, having all of your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. You haven't done that yet yet, Let's talk about that this morning. There's a room in the back. Some of the elders after services would love to meet with you, pray with you, encourage you, whatever you need, or you can come forward as together we stand and sing.